Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each Friday we invite our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic insights from our in-house economics team. In our last podcast, we discussed the strong praise the US's top immunologist, Dr. Anthony Fauci, directed to Australia. Specifically, Dr. Fauci called out Australia's ability to effectively manage COVID compared to the USA. So in today's QPod, we're going to dig deeper on Australia's approach to COVID-19 relative to other nations. We're going to explore why the world's political frameworks are so influential in a nation's ability to manage the pandemic, including the economic outcomes. And in our second instalment, we'll use the relative health and economic backdrops to delve into where global institutional investors, be they Australian, Asian or Middle Eastern, can identify resilient yielding investments and determine is there a potential sleeping giant for investors so it's with this fascinating backdrop that i welcome qic's chief economist dr matthew peter welcome matthew great to be uh, here chatting with you again craig wonderful mate uh matthew it's not lost on me the interesting juxtaposition the world is in with strong vaccine sentiment on the one hand but large swathes of the globe including asia Europe and America facing rather daunting new ways of COVID infections. Australia has had a recent outbreak itself in Adelaide, South Australia, with a cluster of around 20 new cases. Is this Australian outbreak in Adelaide a good example of Australia's increasing strong ability to deal with COVID, Matthew? Uh, Yes, I think so, Craig. Um, I think the key uh, to Australia's successful approach Uh, to handling COVID has in fact been the willingness of local areas like Adelaide uh, to enter into lockdowns to contain outbreaks and and thereby enable uh, the rest of the Australian economy to remain open. Uh, And this has meant we've avoided, you know, those devastating um, or the devastating size of the second waves that you know, Europe and the US are currently facing uh, that are causing, in the case of Europe at least, uh, yet another national lockdown. Um, just to give you a, a flavour of our relative performance in, in our the way we're handling COVID, our daily case rates as a share of population during the height of our second wave uh, in Victoria, when Victoria was in lockdown, uh, was that we're actually orders of magnitude less than what we're seeing now in uh, the US and Europe. So, for example, the US daily case rate as a share of po- their population is currently like 10 times higher than what we saw in Australia. And the European rate is like 30 times higher. Yeah, and our, so our thoughts certainly go out to the many people affected. Matthew, when you compare the various political systems around the world, how does Australia's political environment support our ability to deal with COVID more effectively? Well, we, we have a federal system uh, which gives significant power to the states to enforce restrictions on movement uh, and over the health system. Um, if you look at other federal systems, uh, particularly if you look at the US, uh, that type of uh, political structure can result in an uneven application of restrictions on freedom of movement and health responses, such as social distancing requirements, uh, access to PPP, etc. And that makes uh, the spread of the virus difficult to contain. Um, but in Australia, at the onset of the virus, what we did, what the Australian federal government did, was convene uh, a national cabinet, which included all of the state uh, premiers, and that allowed for 
a national and coordinated response uh, to be rolled out across Australia to suppress the first wave of the virus. Um, but underlying that agreed upon national response, the states have retained the freedom to overlay additional constraints um, as, as we've passed through time up to the present. That's meant that uh, states have responded to outbreaks um, by localised lockdowns, as in the case of Victoria, and as you're currently seeing in South Australia, um, or by enhanced uh, testing and contact tracing, as in the case of what New South Wales approach has been. And so on top of that, the other states that aren't experiencing the localised um, uh, outbreaks, they're free to make their own assessments of the risk uh, that those states pose, and, and they can choose uh, to selectively uh, restrict entry into their states from hotspots. And the outcome has been uh, an Australian economy that has largely remained open since the end of the national lockdown back in May. Yeah, I want to get into that a little bit further, uh, just a little bit later in the podcast. You're listening to Craig Balanzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where in a special two-part series, our Chief Economist, Dr Matthew Peter, is assessing Australia's relative response to managing COVID and what implications this might have for investors. Matthew, when combined with our ability to manage COVID-19, what economic implications does this political flexibility generate for Australia? Oh, well, I think the key outcome for us is that we're avoiding that yo-yo or boom-bust effect uh, on the economy that you're seeing in Europe, and I think you'll see emerge in the US. Uh, and that, you know, boom-bust effect really saps confidence. It threatens to leave uh, more permanent scars on the economy, even once uh, we we exit COVID. So I think that's the main effect. Um, what does this then mean for international capital flows, in your opinion? Well, confidence in our economy among international investors is a key for us, uh, particularly to avoid capital flight and a, and a subsequent collapse in, in our economy, both of which would be devastating uh, consequences for us. Um, but here, it's not just our approach to COVID that's important uh, in maintaining investor uh, international investor confidence. It's also our approach to fiscal and monetary policy. And I think here we've, we've done quite a good job. So the government has used fiscal policy to support household incomes, um, household balance sheets. Uh, and by doing so, the government's really stopped uh, what was a sharp slowdown in the economy in the first half of the year, developing into a potential depression. Um, the RBA has also um, been, been quite powerful in its approach. It's taken a multi-pronged approach to monetary policy. It's worked with our regulator, APRA, so that not only have interest rates fallen uh, and adequate liquidity has been injected into the financial system, but also the regulatory environment was relaxed, allowing widespread insolvencies, both amongst the household sector and businesses, to be avoided. Um, the stability to the economy that the combination of being able to remain open, um, to have adequate domestic demand, combined with a lack of bankruptcies, really has provided a, an economic and financial environment that uh, has meant in the main, international investors have remained confident in the Australian economy, international capital flows have remained stable, as has, as has our currency. Yeah, that's really interesting. So we've now covered off that yeah, Australia's had an approach to managing the COVID, which has been rather effective. And now we've had those fiscal and monetary policies working well together to support the economy. So how is the favourable economic environment starting to manifest itself in the Australian data, Matthew? 
Well, well, Craig, yesterday's labour market data, for example, speaks volumes. Um, we had over 150,000 jobs created uh, um, over the month of October, way higher than even our uh, optimistic expectations here at QIC. And, and this is not just a flash in the pan. You know, we're, what we're doing here is building on a steady improvement, particularly in the labour market since its May low point. In fact, now we're sitting less than 2% off uh, the level of employment that we had pre-COVID. And, and forward indicators are, are pointing to ongoing robust growth. We've got consumer confidence, confidence at its highest level in seven years. We've got business confidence well into positive um, territory and at levels that uh, we last saw in the first half of 2019. So all the signs um, combined with the fact that we're keeping the economy open are suggestive that we're going to continue this recovery into the, the, the rest of the year and well into 2021. You're listening to Craig Balanzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where in a special two-part series, our Chief Economist, Dr Matthew Peter, is assessing how Australia is faring relative when managing COVID and what implications this could have for investors. Matthew, a really interesting update there with regards to those jobs data. Uh, is Australia's economic health therefore not as reliant as other global nations might be on a vaccine? Well, what I do think is that... Uh it means that we're doing much better than many other nations in the absence of a vaccine. And I also think we will continue to do better when a vaccine is, is found and, and distributed. And the reason for that is that by better managing our economy now, uh, the road back to normality once a vaccine uh, has given the world immunity effectively will, will be far smoother for Australia. And let's not lose sight that even with uh, a vaccine, the timeline to that immunity uh, is actually quite long. So the better we can handle things in that period, the better we're going to exit. Stability, Matthew, it's a favourite ingredient for investors. Uh, how is Australia faring from a stability point of view? Well, our hit in the first half of the year, which we took, um, was, was a, a heavy hit, but far better than our developed economy peers. Like our GDP in the first half of this year fell by a tad over 7%, and that compares favourably to the 9% falls that you saw in the US and Japan, uh, uh, and, and uh, you know around 20% when you're looking at uh, UK, France, Italy, and Spain, for example. Uh, the September quarter, the one just passed, uh, saw a, a really sharp rebound in some of those countries, uh, Europe and the US, as they rushed to open, reopen their economies. For example, France was up, you know, 18%, Spain, 17%, uh, Italy and UK, somewhere around 15%. Um, our September quarter data, Craig, though, um, which won't be released for around another 10 days, won't report those sort of numbers. It'll be far more modest than the European and the US outturns for the September quarter. Um, but we also know, Craig, that the September quarter growth in Europe and the US was, was achieved at a, a terrible cost, um, which, you know, those those regions will will have to pay for in the in the December quarter. And we now know that uh, those economies will relapse back into negative growth rates at least this quarter and perhaps into the next. Meanwhile, in Australia, what we're looking at leading into our summer uh, is 
and into the rollout of the vaccine in, in sometime in the middle of next year, we're looking at actually um, increasing growth rates, strong above trend growth rates. Um, so I think we're in quite a favourable position. You're listening to Craig Balanswaler and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where in our special two-part series, our Chief Economist, Dr Matthew Peter, is assessing Australia's ability to manage COVID, the economic stability this has afforded us, and what implications this could have for foreign and domestic capital. Matthew, in wrapping up this first episode, what specific areas of Australia's economic or financial data do you think foreign capital should be aware of? Well, I think uh, economies around the world will continue to be reliant on domestic demand uh, as long as global travel um, and movement remain subdued. And that's going to still be the case for some time to come. Uh, so the consistency and the strength of consumer spending will be a key indicator of the health of economies for at least the next couple of years, in my opinion. So when I'm looking at the data, what I'll be focusing on is you know, things that give me evidence of the health of the consumer, things like consumer confidence, employment growth, um, household balance sheets and savings rates. They'll be the indicators, not only the health of the consumer, but also the health of the economy. And I think central bank policy is also clearly going to be key going forward. So what we need there is is really stable and well communicated monetary policy settings. Um, that's going to provide transparency and certainty to financial markets and it'll help reduce volatility not only in interest rates but in credit spreads and currencies and that's going to be important for institutional investors. The RBA uh, in particular has moved to far more transparent communication, meaning that following RBA announcements, uh, following their speeches, their press conference conferences, will now give um, the reader uh, a far better feel for their policy direction than uh, we ever got before. So that's another area that I'll be concentrating on. Fantastic. Thanks, Matthew, for those insights today. So my key takeaways are that firstly, Australia's political landscape has played a key role by enabling a centralised and uniform approach to managing corona outbreaks. But with the states and territories having the flexibility to adjust lockdown measures as the virus permits, it's seen Australia being swift in locking down outbreaks whilst containing this to specific regions. And this has enabled large parts of our economy to remain open or reopen quickly. Secondly, Australia's fiscal and monetary policies have contributed by acting in unison. Large and targeted fiscal spending has kept the economy moving and softened unemployment impacts. The Reserve Bank has also supported this and even encouraged the fiscal spending through complementary expansive monetary policy by providing cheap funding via low interest rates and quantitative easing. And finally, these measures are starting to pay off with a number of economic indicators now improving, reflecting Australia's economic stability when compared to both Europe and the US. All this bodes well for Australia being seen as an attractive source of foreign capital. And for domestic capital, it also indicates a higher hurdle to invest internationally. So it's a compelling setting when looking ahead to next week's episode, Matthew, we will explore how institutional investors could look to benefit from Australia's competitive position. I'm Craig Valenzuela for QIC's Take 10 podcast. Please feel free to email your questions to us at qpod at qic.com and have a super weekend.